our scriptures for today from the book of Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1 to 15. Therefore, holy brothers, you have shared in heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostles and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy, worthy of more glory than Moses, as much glory as the builder of house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, the builder, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house if indeed we hold fast confidence and are boasting in our hope. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. Where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, let there be in any of you an unevil unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as in the rebellion. This is the word of the Lord. As we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, um, we're not exactly sure who wrote the book of Hebrews, right? doesn't tell us. So there are a variety of, you know, theories about who maybe that was. And one of them I mentioned was Priscilla, uh, Priscilla and Aquila, two teachers associated with the church in Corinth. And Priscilla was the, was the lead teacher there. So it could be that uh, she wrote this book. And she didn't sign it because uh, in the first century, that just wasn't allowed for a woman to be writing as such. And so maybe she didn't do it. Another theory I have is that this book is not afraid to kind of get in your face. It's not afraid to get up there and say, hey, you guys have got to get your act together start shaping up. And to me, that sounds a bit like a mom, you know, <laughs> speaking to little kids, you know, like, hey, you got you to gotta kind of do it here. Um, and so even in this text today, um, the writer, the preacher that we're calling the person is, uh, is very direct and isn't afraid to say what She's really thinking, or he's thinking. So we just kind of keep that in, in mind. As Darlene was saying, uh, last week we looked at three images from chapter 2. 
These are all images of Christ. So one was that he is the pioneer or champion of our faith. Mentioned that the same word is used for Hercules in the first century. Hercules was a champion, that word. A leader. Hero. That's the idea of that word. Secondly, the image is liberator or redeemer. So one who liberates people, you know, sing songs of redemption, Bob Marley, liberator, redeemer. And thirdly, consecrator or high priest, one who consecrates us, sets us apart, makes us holy, that image. And they're all images that were very popular in the first century and earlier. The whole Greco-Roman world filled with temples, filled with different gods and goddesses. And these images were all well known. And so the writer here applies them also to Christ. Christ as our champion, Christ as our liberator, Christ as our consecrator. As we move on, we hear a fourth one, this first verse. Therefore, brothers and sisters, holy partners in a heavenly calling, consider that Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. So the word, the apostle, Christ as our apostle, that is not used anywhere else in the New Testament. It only happens here. And in a number of the English translations, the word apostle is capitalized. So if you're reading the KJV today, you'll see it. The apostle, capital A. Jesus as our apostle. An apostle means sent one. So God sends Jesus. Jesus is the sent one. He is the apostle, just as he sends out the 12 apostles later. Chooses 12 and sends them out. Well, this writer calls Christ the apostle, the sent one from God. And that links with the other title there, the high priest, one we've already looked at, but he is the apostle, the sent one, and he comes as here, our high priest. Now it's interesting, in Latin, the word priest is pontifex. And all pontifex means is bridge builder. A priest is a bridge builder. So Jesus comes as the apostle to be a bridge builder for us to know God. He comes to build, to build a bridge that we can go over, that we might know God and experience him. This is all by way of introduction, okay? Verses 1 to 6. I'm just going to go quickly through them. We're going to emphasize the second part. So Jesus as our apostle, the, send one, the sent one, who, by the way, then in the gospel, sends us. He chooses us to send us. And that's an important idea because we, we have a job to do. We are the sent ones by Christ. We have a vocation that is deeper than our job. We are to represent Christ. We'll hear more about that later. But we are sent ones. We are connected to the apostle who sends us. So Jesus becomes the sender and we are the sent ones. The apostle. So that's how the text begins. We've looked at those. And then in verse 6, ending this first part, Christ, however, was faithful over God's house as a son 
and we are his house. Interesting. We are, meaning Christians, those who know Jesus, we are his house. Interesting image. That's who we are. We are the house of God if we hold firm the confidence and the pride that belong to hope. So here's one of these statements right in your face. If we hold firm the confidence. Will we hold firm the confidence? See what I mean? Will we stay on track? This writer is getting up close to us and saying, we need to stay on track. If we're going to be the apostles, the sent ones that he wants for us. You know, there is a church, you know, there's a denomination called the Apostolic Church. And one of the good pieces of that church, I think, is that everybody is called an apostle. <laughs> they are right up front, man. We are all apostles. We all have a job to do. So get out there and do your job. That's, that's what they're saying. The Apostolic Church. We are the apostles. We are sent ones. If we hold firm, the conditional, if we hold firm. So that's how this chapter begins. Looks at Jesus, commends Christ to us as the sent one of God, the one who becomes a priest, a bridge for us, so that we might know him and then take up our vocation ourselves. So that theme we will hear as we go on. Then we come to chapter, or the second half of this, and this is where I'm going to focus more, verses 7 to the end of that unit, verse 15. The writer says, therefore, okay, in light of what we've just said, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice. So the reference now is to the Holy Spirit. As the Holy Spirit says, present tense, so the writer is saying, the Holy Spirit says this, said this in the first century when they're writing, and continues to say this. Interesting that the shift is there. It's no longer the Father, it's no longer the Son, the third person of the Trinity, who actually is the one we engage with on a day-to-day. -day. The Holy Spirit says, present tense. So it means the Holy Spirit still says this, continues to says, say this. Say what? Today... If you hear his voice. So every day then becomes that today. So today, here we are, this day. What are we at? January 15th. Today, if you hear his voice. Because we can turn off his voice if we like. We can shut it down. We can become distracted. We can listen to all other kinds of voices in our noisy world. All the voices, all the advertisements. Are you watching any sports these days? And what's the big advertisement right now? Bet. Gamble away. Take your hard-earned money and gamble it on a game. Maybe we can decide in the middle of the game who might score the next goal. I'll put 10 bucks on that. I'll see what happens. I'm at a point right now when the, when the gambling thing comes on, I just turn it off. It just is too much for me. And it's all done under the province. The province is doing this. <laughs> They're the ones behind bet. Gamble all your money away. Why? Because it becomes a very nice tax for them. But that's a voice, right? That's a voice. 
all you want to watch is a hockey game, man, or a basketball game, and meanwhile you hear all these messages about bet, 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 have a lot of fun gambling. That's an example of all these voices. So yeah, we can shut down the voice today if you hear his voice. We have to want to hear his voice. And to make the point, the writer goes on and quotes from Psalm 95. Just takes a chunk from Psalm 95. If you have your Bible and you look at it, the whole thing from verses 8 to 11 is just lifted from Psalm 95. And Psalm 95 is a beautiful psalm. We often use it in call to worships. It, it, it's about praise. Let me just read and remind you about Psalm 95. It's terrific. We could have started the service today with it if we had chosen. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. This is Psalm 95. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. That's what we've been doing. Why? For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountain are his also. The sea is his, for he made it in the dry land which his hands have formed. It's this great creation psalm. God reveals himself in creation. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. That's Psalm 95, 1 to 7. And then it says, Oh, that today you would listen to his voice. The statement that we have here. Today, listen to his voice. And then it goes on and quotes that. So it's interesting that that unit, 95, 7 to 11, is taken from the story in Exodus chapter 17, which is the story of the children of Israel going through the desert. And they are a complainy bunch. And all they do is critique and complain about how things are so rough in the desert and they wish they were back in Egypt under this slavery of Pharaoh. I mean, that's, that's what they're doing. And they're particularly complaining that they don't have enough food and water. Now, that might have been true. Maybe not as much as they wanted. But they're complaining. So much so that Moses strikes a rock and water comes out of it and somehow he doesn't follow quite the plan exactly and he gets in a tough time with God over that. But what we're told is God is completely frustrated with the children of Israel. So much so that he says, you know what? You're not going to get into the promised land. You're just going to keep circling this whole generation in the desert for 40 years. Good luck on that. And that's what they do. And only some pass into the new, the new promised land. So the complainy, critiquey voice shuts Israel down in the wilderness so that they never enter into rest. Note how that ends, verse 11, they will not enter my rest. And we know that just, just emotionally, if we're always critical and restless and agitated, we won't experience rest ourselves. 
we won't experience shalom. We won't experience peace. So we're invited to what? Be thankful. That's how Psalm 95 begins. Worship. Be thankful. Be grateful. Breathe in gratitude. Breathe out kindness, right? James Houston at 100 years old. Breathe in gratitude. Breathe out kindness. And then that will give us rest. So the writer, you know, calls us to reflect on it's an ethical statement, meaning in light of who God is and what he's done, those amazing titles, now take your walk seriously and follow him. And then from there, it goes on and says even more about it. And so we end with some four applications that come out of this text here. Take care, brothers and sisters, that none of you may have an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Big statement. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Why? For we have become partners of Christ if only we hold fast our first confidence firm to the end. So the writer is going to give us some things to think about and here's the first one. Be attentive, be aware in this light. All right, number one, big, a warning. Take care, do not turn away from the living God. That is a very bold statement and one that is powerful. It's right in your face and my faith. Take care, do not turn away from the living God. Turn away is the word from which we get apostasy. And apostasy Denying God and looking to another God was the besetting son of the first century church in the Roman Empire. Why would that be? Because the Roman government wants you to say, Caesar is Lord. So if you have to say Caesar is Lord, then you cannot say Jesus is Lord. And at times, for example, under Nero, if you did not say Caesar is Lord, you were killed. You were thrown into the stadium and you fought the wild beasts. And it wasn't just under Nero. Even in times when they weren't putting you in the stadium, you couldn't have a good job with the government if you wouldn't say Caesar is Lord. You couldn't get it. So it impacted your life just in very practical ways, your income. And so then it becomes a decision. Will I say Jesus is Lord and not Caesar is Lord? That's the word apostasy that is right there in the text. Do not turn away. Now, we don't turn away for those reasons, right? At least here in Canada. There could be other parts of the world where there is pressure to say someone else is Lord. If you said Jesus is Lord, maybe you would be persecuted. But we certainly can turn away from the living God. Living God is Zoe. Zoe, all right? The one who gives life. And you know, there's all kinds of theological discussions about whether or not one can turn away from the living God. The Calvinists would like to say, well, you can't even do it in the first place. So this writer can't be meaning that because you can't be turning away. And the other side of the argument is, yeah, you what? 
You look around, there are people who start who don't finish. They are, not, they are indeed turning away. So it can become a big theological argument. I was raised in the good old Pentecostal church, which is Armenian, and they say you can. And I heard that enough times growing up, I guess I believe that. You can turn away from the living God. That is a big warning. Whatever else happens in life, do not do that. That's what the writer is saying. That is the biggest disaster. If you get at the end of the life, your life, and you haven't said yes, you said no, you can't get worse than that. Now, whatever happens after that, I'm not saying. I don't know. But the emphasis here is say yes to the living God. Don't turn away because we can turn away. We've all, we all know Christians who used to be very, very strong, and then somewhere along the line they decide they're not going to do it anymore. They just won't do it. I don't believe it anymore. That's the word apostasy. You can say what you want, but that's what it is. I believe, now I don't believe. Sorry. Do not turn away from the living God. So that's a warning, right? I haven't said that in a while, so there we go. We need to hear that. Do not turn away from the living God. Don't presume on God. The children of Israel, man, spent 40 years in the wilderness. So we need to hear it. I need to hear it. Do not turn away. Alan, don't turn away. In whatever subtle ways we might do it. Number two, walk in community. Walk in community. Be in community. Live in Christian community. And as you do so, encourage one another. The NRSV here says, exhort one another. NIV says, encourage one another. Parakaleo, call out. Has both senses in the word. So encourage one another. So what does that mean? Well, it means we are called to walk together in faith. There's a whole movement today in the the language of nuns is used, N-O-N-E. Those who give up in the church. I don't need the church. It's just me. That's it. All I need is me. Give me a good book, and I'm fine. The, the New Testament knows nothing about that. They would be completely amazed that one can be of faith and not be connected to a community. You could be a hermit, Right? connected to a monastery, and you can live up on the hell by yourself, but once a month you're going to come down and you're going to share with the community. That's the nature of the beast. You are not alone. Thomas Merton, you know Merton wanted to be a hermit. He was a priest in Gethsemane down in Kentucky his whole life. And his big goal was he hated people so much, you know what, I just want to be a hermit, man. Can I be a hermit? And the, and the, the abbot was kept, kept telling man, you emotionally, you can't handle it, Thomas. If you become a hermit, you're going to go nuts. So as an abbot, I'm saying, no, you can't be. You live in here with the rest of us. You can be a teacher and teach all the novices. And that's why he did. He wrote all his books. Towards the end of his life, they did grant him the fact that he could be a hermit on the property. 
And he had his record player, a vinyl record player, and he would listen to all the music, and he was very hip. He'd listen to the Beatles and everybody else back in the 60s, right, <laughs> wherever. But he still had to be connected to the community. We have to walk in community. And I, and I know that can be fatiguing, that can be tiresome. It doesn't mean it's easy, right? But that's what we are called to do, and we are called to encourage one another. Exhort one another. Be with one another. It means you're not as strong as you think. <laughs> I am not as strong as I think. And on your own, you can become a target. The devil loves it when we become on our own. C.S. Lewis does a whole thing on it in screw tape letters. Yeah, yeah, let him give up on the church, the, the senior devil saying. It's great, let him do that. Because now they, they're there, they're a target for us. Walk in community. Thirdly, engage in your partnership with God. We have a high calling. This is a particular emphasis in this book. The word partnership. Natakas. Sharer. Partaker. A participant. The word is used five times in, in this book. We are partners with God. It's used in verse 1. We are holy partners. And then again, it's used in verse 14. We are sharers in God's work. Little old you, little old me, we are sharers in God's work. That's very cool. We have a job to do. We are sent ones. In fact, priest is used as a word, Peter likes to use that. If we look at 1 Peter 2, he picks right up on that. He calls us priests. Like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We are holy priests. Verse 9, famous verse. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You are a holy priesthood. Who is he talking to? He's just talking to ordinary Christians in a church, a little church. And he's saying you are holy priests. You are bridge builders to connect with our culture. You have people in your life that you're the only one. You may be the only Christian to some people that you know. There's no other Christian in that whole bunch. You're, you're the only one. You're the only one of faith, period. So then you're called to be a priest to that group. doesn't mean you have to be preaching in front of them, you know what I mean? Quoting scripture every time you turn around and see them. That's, that's not the point, but you are a priest. You are a bridge builder. So can we claim that? Can we hold on to that? You see, it's more than intellectual assent, right? Priesthood is not just saying, yeah, yeah, I believe that. Intellectually, I believe that. It's engaging with our whole life. That's the idea. And then fourthly, I just add this one. Is there a fourth one, next one? It's kind of gone to sleep, I think. Shadow. Finish well. <laughs> I remember my father-in-law, Beth's dad, when he turned 80, we, there was a party out in Seattle. 
he had called all of his family together, and there was, I don't know, were there 30 there? I'm going to say 30. Man, maybe there was 50, 60, 70, I don't know. It was a massive crowd. He called his entire family together. There was at least 30. He's 80 years old. And good old Father Crone, he decides, he's a preacher, right? Okay, this is my opportunity. I'm going to preach a sermon to my family right here. And that's exactly what he did. In the living room of Christy, Beth's niece, he preached a sermon to his whole family. And basically his sermon was, finish well. That's what he was saying. Run the race. Don't get off track. You can have the biggest, fanciest, you know, locomotive in the world, right? The highest one. But if it gets off track, it just stops, man. It, it just, just sits there. Don't get off track. Finish well. That's what he was saying, because that was on his mind. He's 80 years old at that time. He lived another, I don't know, 10 years more, 15. Lived a good, long life. Well, what was on his mind at that point was himself. He's talking to himself, finish well, but he's also talking to the group. So that is what the spirit of Hebrews is saying. Finish well. Stay on track. Don't listen to all the voices, the other voices in this noisy world. Stay on track and listen to what is essential. Keep willing one thing, as Kierkegaard says. And you have to do that, and I have to do it. No one else can do it for you or for me. We have to choose. Relationship with the Holy Creator God, this amazing God who created the entire universe. This shouldn't be a hardship, you know? <laughs> right? As persons, to connect with the personal God. Jesus is our personal Jesus, right, that song? He's there for you connect with him, that should not be a big hardship. It's life. Creator, we are connected to the creator who wants to be in relationship with us, so he creates, he creates this bridge. We can go over that bridge. To me, that doesn't sound like so hard. I think I'm lining up. I'm going to go over that bridge. What do you got to lose? Is your life so great without Jesus? So great without God? That you're going to say, oh man, I can't give that up. Give up what? We got something great. And that's what we're invited to share. Just say it. Share it. So, Mother Priscilla... We thank her for her word to us. In Christ's name, amen.